Law demands, grace gives. Law says do, grace says believe. Law exacts, grace bestows. Law says work, grace says rest. Law threatens and pronouncing a curse, grace entreats pronouncing a blessing. Law says do and thou shalt live. Grace says live and thou shalt do. Law condemns the best man. Grace saves the worst man. And you see the, <laughs> the conflict between those two? You can't have both of them. It's either one or the other. And I like the fact uh, grace says live and thou shalt do. And this is where a lot of people get fouled up and they believe, oh, I've got to do in order to live. And that's really a problem. We come to our fourth message um, today on <clears throat> the pressures of this world. And um, I don't know. I mean, I my father told me sometime some years ago that um, you don't really know what people need. You don't as a pastor teacher. You don't know what people need. And it's not about the information because you can have a lot of information. The question is, what do you need to preach? And we don't get <clears throat> as a pastor teacher that gets to get up and decide, oh, I think I'll preach this. Or I think I'll preach that. Presumably, you're being led by the spirit and what you preach. Right. Because, again, you and I, uh, any pastor teacher, you don't know what people need. But God does. God knows where people are at, where they're going to be at. How can any man know that? And so it was with that that we were led to this series on the pressures of this world. And, uh, and I don't know why. I mean, I just, just kind of just are born on from one um, topic to another. And this one just really, I thought, was something that God was leading us to look into. And I, and I really think it's really timely as I look at it now. Uh, as we go down the line. And so we want to look at who is the source of pressure today? Who is the source of the pressures of this world? And I think that you're going to find that, uh, as the little church lady used to say on um, Saturday Night Live, can we say Satan? (laughs) (laughs) And I think that that's what's going on here. And I think that you'll see that he brings a lot of pressure to bear, particularly upon believers and when you think about this, I was trying to think about a good way to illustrate this. And I, I bear with us, ladies, or even those who don't like football. But I think this is really a good illustration <laughs> to illustrate to you. There is a play in football, and it's called a screen pass. And in that screen play, what you do is you let the opponent, the defense, come at the quarterback hard. Some people won't even block. And I don't know what the defenders are thinking. They think, oh, I got a free pass to the quarterback. And the idiots don't realize the play's being run in the very direction they gave up. Right? And so what looks like it's going to be a catastrophe turns out to be something completely the opposite. It's really a great play. And when it's run to perfection, it can't be stopped. Most of the time, people... The reason it doesn't work is that the, the, the team doesn't run it to perfection, right? But most of the, well, you saw it in the Super Bowl, uh, that that play was run a lot. And it worked every time, it seemed like. And so that's what's happening in life. Now, why do I use that illustration? Because I think that Satan is being allowed to do a lot of things. And it looks like he's winning. But you'll see he's losing badly. <laughs> hey, thank you. See, 
I got an affirmation from Sophie. <laughs> she, she said, amen, amen. <laughs> right on time, Sophie. <laughs> yes, and now she's clapping on it. And so, <laughs> and so we'll see that Satan is the source of these pressures. And God allows it. And what seems to be a defeat is not always what you think it is. And so Satan runs in and you could see it. And one of the ways that you could see this, that he has no clue what's going on, is the fact that we find in 1 Corinthians 2 that says that if the demons and Satan by extension had known that by crucifying Christ, that it would have brought us the glory that we have today, they would have never done it. But he was in a mad dash to do it. He's being screened out every single time. And one of the things that he thinks that he could do, and you'll see it today, is that by bringing pressure on God's people, that he can actually undermine God's purposes. And it never works. Found out in the early church, the more you pressured the early church, the bigger it got. It never works. And so Satan's not going to be victorious in that. The question then is, what is my role? How will I handle it? And we'll continue to look at that over the course of this series. But let's look at the source of the pressures today, and we'll see that it's coming from Satan. Father, we're grateful for the opportunity of being able to look at these things and just uh, thankful, Father, that in the pressures that we have, these afflictions that Many of them are satanic and that Satan brings a lot of these things through various means in the world system, through circumstances, through other people and such. And we know that there's other kinds of sufferings that go on, as we saw with uh, persecution. And we, 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 we understand these things. But in all of them, <clears throat> you've provided a means for us to be able to be victorious and to be able to glorify you. So we're so thankful for the potential that we have and the opportunity to be on this grand stage that you've given us in which we in these bodies can do things that we will not be able to do beyond this life. There's nothing that we see in your word that tells us that we're going to be able to do the things beyond this life that we can do while we're in this body in the way that we can glorify you in this fallen world. So we're thankful for the opportunity that we have and the potential to be able to do it. In your son's name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> so we want to start with Satan was the source of Job's pressures. I have just been fascinated by the book of Job here recently, and I've been listening to it over and over and over again. There is something that strikes you about it um, as you look at what happened here. And there are several things that you see that happened in the book of Job that is just fascinating to me. And so you start with this guy who was... In his time, and notice, remember, Job is the first book of the Bible. In his time, he was seen as a, a, uh, a notice what is, how he's described here in chapter 1. <clears throat> and we will um, begin with verse 1. And I'll later on give you some definitions to these words. But notice what it says about this guy. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. And that man was perfect and upright and one that feared God, and he eschewed evil. 
And there were born unto him seven sons and three daughters. His sustenance was seven thousand sheep and three thousand camels, five hundred yoke of oxen and five hundred she-ashes, and a very great household, so that this man was the greatest of all men of the east. And his sons went and they feasted in their houses and every one his day and sent and called for their three sisters to eat and to drink with them. And it was so that when the days of their feasting were gone about, that Job sent and he sanctified them and rose up early in the morning and he offered burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, it may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus did Job continually. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. Now here is a, I mean, we're getting to, and this is why I told you that Don's class is really important to understand. Now he's gone through sons of God. When you get into the Old Testament, you do not see sons of God used of people. It's always used of spirit beings. It's never used of people in the Old Testament. I think it's only used about five times in, in this way. And it's always used of people. I mean, excuse me, of spirit beings and not of people. And so notice the sons of God came and they presented themselves before the Lord. And Satan came also among them. So this word for present is that they would come and they would stand in order. So here is God. He's in. Um, they come and you have the bad uh, demons or the demons come and you have the good angels and other spirit beings come and they would present themselves before God to get the orders of what the demons are allowed to do and what the good angels are going to be told to do. And so they're coming to get their marching orders. Right. So Satan, he comes up and among them himself. And so notice the question here. What God asked him. It's very important, the questions that he asked him. Notice in verse 7. And, and, you, and you must know before we could put together from the Old Testament that Satan was operating from the earth, according to Ezekiel, before man was put here. Satan was operating from the earth. And that he was over the government of God. And so, again, I'm not saying that people are not important, but do you know there were things going on before you? It's it's kind of like kids who think once their parents have them, oh, that's all that's important. (laughs) You know your parents were getting along before you. I mean, they were actually fine before you came along. (laughs) I know it's hard to believe. (laughs) I know, and you're chiming again there, Sophie. Sophie said, no, that ain't true. (laughs) But they were doing fine before you. And so Satan was, uh, there, so there were spirit beings that were had, over the government of God. They had, there was an operation going on, and Satan was the chief person over it. And then God made man, and he put man, Adam on the earth, and then, of course, the population came. And so this is beyond that. Now we are at a point, for, fast forward to the future, And Satan is going around in the earth after he's been disposed. Now, notice the Lord asked him several questions here that are very important. Verse 7. And the Lord said to Satan, whence cometh thou? Now, do you think the Lord didn't know where he was coming from? Obviously, he does. But he's asking him. He wants to see how he responds here. 
Then Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro in the earth, and from walking up and down in it. Now notice in verse 8 what he says. And the Lord said unto Satan, The dreaded question that you probably would not want him to say to, about you. Have you considered my servant Scott? <laughs> or fill in the gap. No, don't bring my name up. No, not me. Have you considered my servant Job? There is none like him. And that word for considered is actually, it, have you set your heart on him? Now, I believe Satan had because of what he says here. And he came to a conclusion that he couldn't do anything to Job. We're going to see that. Have you considered my servant Job? There's none like him in the earth. A perfect and upright man, one that fears God and eschews evil. Now, if you drop down to B, I'm going to give you just a jump ahead and give you these definitions here. This word for perfect means that he was a, he was complete. He was um, um, consistent, wholly consistent, uh, orderly. And so you, he was and then you, he says he was upright. It's the word yashar, that one that acted in a correct manner and one that feared God. And so this fear of um, God was a, a, something that was pretty consistent in the Old Testament. Uh, a lot of it was fear of harm. Uh, and then this word for excuse evil, it means he would turn away from or resist. He would not go into the direction of evil. Right. And so for this guy and his time and what he knew and understood, he was a, a acting right. Right. And so he says, have you considered my servant Job? There's none like him in the earth. He's perfect and he's upright man, one that fears God and eschews evil. Now, notice what Satan's response was here. And it gives you insight that he had considered Job. That he had seen Job as he's going around and notice just hold your finger there. I want to show you uh, just before we get into that in first Peter chapter five. One of the things you see is that Satan's just, you may be, you may not be paying attention to Satan, but he's paying attention to you. <laughs> you may not be thinking about what's going on, and you're probably the one he's really looking for. Because I, we see here, he's looking for someone that he can devour. Yeah. You know, they tell you that criminals today, um, they... If you look at some of these different um, defense uh, videos, they tell you that as you're walking around, you need to make sure that you are engaged with your surroundings. If you're not engaged with your surroundings, you may not be watching, but criminals are watching you. And they're looking for people who are not paying attention, who are walking down the street with their cell phone, just looking at their cell phone. You're a target. <laughs> People who uh, are walking and they give the appearance that they can be taken, you're a target. And so in a sense, in a similar way, Satan is doing the same thing. Now notice in First Peter chapter 5. And so Peter writes here, verse 5, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, is as a roaring lion or similar to a roaring lion walking about. Um, 
seeking whom he may devour. Or that word devour is to eat up. And notice, whom resists steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. Notice this idea of going around. And so you see a similar um, thing said in, in Job about his activities of, of, of him moving about. And so notice <clears throat> back in Job, he says, <clears throat> then Satan answered the Lord. Does Job fear you for naught? Has not thou made a hedge about him and his house? No, why would he say this? He wouldn't say it unless he has seen or really probed what's going on, right? That Satan looked at Job and said, ah, not going to be able to touch that guy for whatever reason. And he gives the reasons here that he believed, that the reason that he couldn't do anything to him. Um, thou hast put a hedge about him. Now, this word for um, hedge is actually, it's a word uh, used in scripture of uh, thorn bush. Um, something that uh, is a protection around. It's literally a, a thorn bush is how it's actually translated there. About his house. Now, house, when we're, we're, we talk about a house, we're thinking about a physical house. I think here he's re- referencing his household. That is more than just the place that he's residing. He's talking about his household. And about all that he has on every side. Thou hast blessed the work of his hands, and his substance is increased in, in the hand, but put forth thine hand, uh, really your authority, he's telling God to do it, put forth your authority and touch him. Now, this word for um, uh, touch, um, and I thought that I put that definitely, yeah, it is, it's a word naga on the sea, um, it's the, of divine intervention of God into a matter to accomplish his end. And you can see it's used in some places of uh, divine, um, um, uh, divine um, instruction or divine um, chastening is what I wanted to say. And so that's what is, uh, you see that is how that's, that plays out. He says, you put forth your hand now and touch all that he hath and he will curse you to your face. Now, our Hebrew instructor, Don, says that uh, he has said this very emphatically, that he will bless you to your face uh, and how he translate that. And notice, and he really sees, and you'll see as we, we move through here, Satan, there's two things that Satan concludes, that Job's health and the things that he has are two things with men. If you actually affect those two things, that you, you can get them. Take somebody's health, Take the things that they have and they'll buckle. Right? <laughs> and so notice what God does here. And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, all that he hath is in your, thought, your power, your authority, only uh, upon himself. Do not put forth thine hand. So Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord. And then you um, see the calamity that takes place. And so just kind of read through some of this and you can see the circumstances that and how Satan can actually affect circumstances to bring pressure on your life. Notice in verse 13. And there came a day when the sons of and and his daughters were eating and drinking wine in their eldest brother's house. It was the firstborn. 
And there came a messenger of Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the asses feeding beside them, and the Sabaeans fell upon them and took them away. Yea, they have slain the servants with the edge of the sword, and I am only escaped. I am my part, I'm only escaped alone to tell thee. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, The fire of God has fallen from heaven and has burned up the sheep and the servants are, and consumed them. And I alone am escaped alone to tell thee. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, The Chaldeans made out three bands and fell upon the camels and have carried them away, yea, and slain the servants with the edge of the sword. And I only am escaped alone to tell thee. Well, it's a bad day. (laughs) And while he was yet speaking, there came another and said, Thy sons and thy daughters were eating and drinking wine in thy elder brother's house. And behold, there came a great wind and the wilderness and uh, great wind from the wilderness and smote the four corners of the house. And it fell upon the young men and they are dead. And I am only escaped alone to tell thee. Now. I mean, if you were to get this information or even half of it, I mean, what would you say? I mean, would they find us in a fetal position <laughs> with our thumb in our mouth saying, God rescue me here? Notice what Job, Job's response, verse 20. Then Job arose and he rent his mantle and he shaved his head and he fell down upon the ground and he worshiped. And he said, naked came I into this world. Uh, came out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave, and the Lord taketh, hath taken away. Blessed is the name, or blessed is Jehovah. In all of this, Job sin not, nor charge God. Said what foolishly? He didn't charge God with tastelessness. No, it was not over. So he lost his household. And so there's this thing of health. So notice here you have it again. Verse one of chapter two. And again, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan came also among them to present himself before the Lord. And the Lord said unto Satan, from whence cometh thou? And Satan answered, the Lord said, from going to and fro and up in the earth and from walking up and down in it. And the Lord said unto certain, has thou considered my servant Job? There is none like him in the earth, a perfect and an upright man, one that fears God and eschews evil and still holds fast his integrity. Although thou move me against him to destroy him without a cause for nothing. And Satan answered the Lord and he said, skin for skin. Yea, all that a man has, he will give for his life. So you've noticed these two things that Satan, had, and, I, and I don't know, I've not studied it all the way through, but here's the two things that you know for a fact that he holds up here that would cause Job to buckle the things that he has and his health. Right? He says, put forth thine hand now and touch his bone and flesh, and he will curse thee to thy face. And the Lord said unto Satan, behold, he is in, notice he's in say, my hand. He says, he's in thine hand, but save his life. And so Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord and smote Job with sores, boils from the sole of his feet unto the crown. And he took a pot shirt or really it's broken pottery to scrape himself with all. And he sat down among the ashes 
And then said his wife unto him, Dost thou still retain thine integrity? Curse God and die. But he said unto her, Thou speaketh um, as the, um, you speaketh as the foolish women speak. What shall we not receive good at the hand of God and shall not receive evil? In all of this, Job did not sin with his lips or he didn't speak something nasty about God or inappropriate about God because of what had happened to him. And then he goes through and you see what happens over the next few chapters. And it's fascinating to me, the bitterness. You see things that come. And I really think what the provocation, the question is, where does bitterness come from? Does it come from Satan or does it come from the soul? Now, you will see in the context of Job that there's bitterness that really comes from the soul. But I think that the circumstances provoke it. And you get people and you see Job in the chapter three right off the shoot. Notice, notice his response here. In chapter three of Job, some of the things that he says here is just really interesting. Uh, <laughs> verse, it, I shouldn't laugh at this. It's not funny, really. It's, it's in verse eight. But I'm just looking at the irony of where, where, where he's at. And I mean, I can see myself here, really. Verse eight, he says, let them curse it. Uh, um, let's go back a little bit. I didn't get enough context. Um, verse one. After this opened Job his mouth and he cursed his day. And Job spake and said, let the day perish where I was born and the night in which it was said that a man child is conceived. Let that day be darkness. Let not God regard it from above. Neither let the light shine upon it. Let darkness and the shadow of death stain it. Let a cloud dwell upon it. Let the blackness of the day terrify it. As for the night, let darkness seize upon it. Let it not be joined into the days of the year. Let it not come into the number of the months. <clears throat> Lo, let the night be solitary or really silent. Let no joyful voice come therein. Let them that curse in that curse the day who are ready to raise up their morning. Let the stars of the twilight thereof be dark. Let it look for light, but have none. Neither let it see the dawning of the day, because it shut not up the doors of my mother's womb. Neither hid soft my eyes. This is pretty. This, yeah. I mean, you know. And so, what would we say about this today? And we talked about this on the cruise. These emotional terms. And so, what the world is trying to tell you today is the things that you experience when you are under satanic attack, or world system attack, or your sin nature. Oh, these are new things. And, you know, you, you can't deal with these conventionally or we've, we've got the answer for it. Well, what did Job do here? Here's a guy who's under satanic attack and you can see, I wish I'd never been born. Have you ever heard people say that? It's nothing new. Hate to snatch your identification card from you that you have, that you've been given. It's nothing new. And notice he, he, he goes on in verse 11. He says, why died I not from the womb? Why did I not give up the ghost when I came out of the belly? Why did the knees prevent me? Or why the breast that I should give suck? For now should I have lain still and been quiet? I should have slept. Then I have been at rest with kings and counselors of the earth, which build desolate places. 
for themselves or with the princes that had gold who filled their houses with silver or had hidden untimely birth or really um, a miscarriage. I had not been as infants which never had seen light. There the wicked cease from troubling and there the weary be at rest. There are the prisoners rest together. They hear not the voice of the oppressors. The small and great are there, and the servant is free from his master. Wherefore is light given to him that is in misery, and life unto the bitter of soul. And so you see this. I mean, here's a guy who's despondent. I wish I had just never seen the light of day. And so you say that, and they have a whole category. If I went to a doctor today and just said what Job said here, what would they do? <laughs> what would they say? They probably would baker at me. <laughs> really? They would think that you're getting ready to do some kind of danger to yourself or someone else. It's just normal. And notice where it came from. A guy who was under satanic attack. The result of satanic attack. That's all. And it, it's, I would challenge you to read through this book. It's just a fascinating book. Because you've learned a lot about things that he says. Um, and you learn a lot about Job. And, and what God is doing here. And remember, as you read through this, Job did not know that there was a person called Satan. He had no clue about it. He didn't know what was going on. He had no clue what was going on. And he keeps going back to God and he says, you're doing this to me. Why are you doing this to me? And he doesn't understand that God had allowed Satan to do this for a purpose. And notice the result of it. I mean, we could go through and we could actually give several, many sermons on the results of satanic attack and what it did to, to Job. And so you can see that this Satan is the source. And you can see it from an Old Testament point of view of a lot of the pressures. You see it with Job, some of the ways that he was able to uh, bring about circumstances and manipulate circumstances to impact the life of a believer. Now notice, if you would, over in Revelation chapter 2, you see it in a different way from a New Testament point of view. Or shall I say in a similar way. But you have this church in Smyrna. The church of Smyrna was warned that they were going to suffer. And who was going to be the author of the suffering? Satan. And notice, uh, um, when Christianity spread throughout uh, Smyrna, it also uh, the persecution did as well. Now, I, Isby gives this uh, synopsis of uh, the problems that's, that that was faced with the believers in Smyrna. Smyrna was an early uh, became an early Christian city, and for there was one uh, of it was one of the seven churches of the Book of Revelation. There, Polycarp, who was considered, I think it's around uh, one hundred and so A.D., uh, the bishop of Smyrna was martyred. Throughout, without the sanction of the Roman government, it seemed that the Jews of, the Smyr- of Smyrna were antagonistic, uh, more, more antagonistic than were the Romans to the spread of Christianity. For it is said that uh, even on uh, Saturday, their sacred day, they uh, brought wood for the fire in which Polycarp was burned. And so, so, they, so they tried to get rid of the Christians. Uh, and so God, God used, and he wrote to the messenger here at Smyrna, 
And he says this to those at Smyrna and what was going to happen. Verse 8. Unto the church of the angel, or, or excuse me, unto the messenger of the church of Smyrna, write, These things says the first and the last, which is dead and alive. I know thy works and thy tribulation. Now, we continue to see this word for pressures is translated um, tribulations a lot. We saw it last week in John 16. But again, the word for pressures and the way that um, I would translate it, you, you have uh, tribulations is or thalipsis is the Greek word, is pressures are coming in from every side. And everywhere you look, it looks like there's nothing but pressure. And so I, I, the best illustration that I can think of is I remember my Batman illustration when we were younger, and they were dropped into the, the, the hole, and everybody remembers this. I see a lot of you guys remember this. You saw this at the same time, probably. And it looked like that they were being pressed from every side. It looked like that they were going to be, like, smashed, Right. And so that's the ideal in a spiritual sense. There's pressure coming from everywhere. And so everywhere you look, it looks like there's pressure coming in from everywhere. And that that happens to believers. This is not abnormal. And so if there's one thing that we could get you to see through this um, this series is to see that the world system and how they see life is different than Scripture portrays it. You see, you cannot read your life through the vision of the unsaved man. You can't. And the moment you do that, you're going to skew what God is doing in your life. They, they see things totally differently. And so here you see this idea of pressure. God says to the believer, and we saw it in John 16 last week, in this world, you will have what? Pressures. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. And so here's pressures that are promised for Smyrna. And notice he says, I know your works and, and your, the pressures and the poverty, but thou art rich. And I know the blasphemy of them that say that they are Jews and are not, but are of the synagogue of Satan. You know, there's a lot of this going on today where people are fancying, fancying themselves to be Jews. You've got a lot of believers today, or so-called believers, who are engaging in the Seder meal. They're involved in the Messianic churches. They're doing all of this stuff. And you say, yeah, yeah, yeah. What are you doing? And there's a lot of people who are putting themselves in that position. And so notice... Uh, and so the believers of Smyrna were suffering. First of all, they were suffering from po- poverty. The word for poverty is actually to be to live life strictly of a beggar, to be in extreme poverty or destitution. Now, when we were in Europe, I don't really see a lot of people in America that are destitute because they have a lot of different kinds of things that you can go to if the people want to. They can go to um, um, soup kitchens. They've got uh, shelters. They built a brand new homeless shelter in Portland, Oregon, before we left. And the thing that struck me was that no one wanted to stay in it. So the media went out and they were curious about why people didn't want to stay in it. And they went and did an interview of some of the homeless people. And do you know what the number one reason was that they didn't want to stay in it? Yeah, they didn't want anyone telling them what to do. They didn't want anyone telling them what to do. 
Brand new sh homeless shelter. Nobody wants to stay in it. They don't want anyone telling them what to do. Now, when we went to Europe, you could see that there was a different kind of homelessness. It was this. It was being destitute. I mean, you saw people that it occurred to you, they really seemed like they are without means. I don't know that many people in America understands what that is. Not just to not have, but not to have any way of having. <laughs> no means of having. No place to go where you can get it. <laughs> and so he says that they, I know your poverty, but thou art rich. I know the blasphemy of them that say that they are Jews and are not, but are of the synagogue of Satan. And notice in verse 10, he says this, fear none of the, those things which thou shalt suffer. <clears throat> Behold, <laughs> and the moment if the Lord told you that, don't fear those things you're going to suffer. You say, what? <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> suffer? I'm telling you what's getting ready to happen. You're going to suffer. And he says, you fear none of those things that you're about to suffer. And notice he says, behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison that you may be tried and you shall have tribulation 10 days. Be thou faithful unto death and I will give thee a crown of life. And so notice he says here, um, um, you are about to. You have this relative pronoun. John uses a relative pronoun here to explain the things that they shouldn't fear, the things that you are about to suffer. And then he reveals it. The devil is the one who is causing the suffering. Now, notice the word. You have several words used in Scripture for Satan. You have uh, diabolos. You have um, say, uh, Satan. You have um, uh, the evil one. Uh, and so there's a lot of words that are used for, uh, for Satan in Scripture. He's singing it as the dragon in Revelation 12. Now, the word devil is an interesting word because it's the one, you could actually translate it to slanderer. He's a slanderer. And he says things about people that are not, not true. Now, we saw it in Revelation 5, 9, but look in Revelation 12, 12 as an example. There is no accident. That the, the society that we live in today is full of slander. And what's interesting to me is that you see that the thing that people are manipulating is perception. And it's not really what's real to a lot of people. It's what's perceived to be real. Right. There's a lot of people who don't have any money, but they have the perception of having money. And that's fine with them as long as there's the perception. And so you have a lot of things that are being manipulated. And I think the reason is, is because this is Satan's territory. And that's a lot of that's going on. Now, notice in Revelation chapter 12. <clears throat> we'll see in the middle of the tribulation period, there is a misconception that Satan or here you'll see that he's called the devil. is limited to the earth, that he doesn't have access into heaven. But do you know we just saw in Job that Satan has access to heaven and he will continue to have access to heaven until the middle of the tribulation period? And so you see it here in Revelation chapter 12. Now notice in verse 7, there was a war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon <clears throat> and the dragon fought and his angels and prevailed not. Neither was their place found anymore in heaven. 
that they have a place right there, right up there in heaven. And there's a lot of people that deny that today. They don't believe that. And so notice the great dragon was cast out of the, uh, cast out that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceives the whole world. Now, that word for deceives is that he causes the whole world to wander. And so people are wandering away from what is real, what's true. Now, if you go back over to Revelation 18, one of the places that you see this is used also with um, the world system. And it's the strong desires of the world system are used to deceive people. Do you realize that? You have people today who are in a drunken stupor. The world system has them drunk and they can't really see things the way they really are. And you talk to them and they oh, and this is true. Oh, I don't believe that. Okay. Do you know we don't get to make up what we believe, whether it's true or not? But people do. He deceives the whole world. He was cast out onto the earth and his angels were cast out with him. And I heard a loud voice say in heaven, now has come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. Or really the authority of his Christ for the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accuses them before our God day and night. So you see all of these things are preceding the coming of the kingdom and Christ taking control of the, the kingdom. Notice verse 11, and they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto the death. Therefore rejoice, you heavens, and ye that dwell in them, and woe unto the inhabitants of the earth and of the sea, for the devil has come down to you having great wrath, because he knows that he has but a short time. It's not until he's denied access to the third heaven that he begins to say, oh boy, Time's running short. And he comes down to the earth. He is in such a hurry then that he comes down having great wrath. He takes his authority and he gives it to the man of lawlessness. And he says, here, you handle the world. I don't have time for this. And most of his time is spent pursuing Israel. And that's what he's going to do. And it's not until he's denied that access that, he's, that he sees that. But you notice over here, he says that the, in verse 10, the accuser of the brethren. And so that's what he does. And I think that that's, you look at the word devil, and it's the idea of one who slanders, who says things about people that are not true. And so the devil was going to cast out some of those from uh, Smyrna, and notice the purpose behind uh, his casting them into prison in Revelation chapter 2, verse 10. He says that, For fear none of these things, for thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison. Now notice here that word that, and it's giving you a purpose for why he was going to do this, or God was going to allow this to be done. Uh, that uh, you shall be tried. And as I remember last week, we talked about the word for trials. So you have trials is a, a part of that. Uh, pressures are a part of trials. And so you have sufferings. You have um, also persecutions. Uh, but pressures is a part of being tried. And notice this word for periazo. 
uh, to try to learn the nature or character of someone or something by submitting such to uh, thorough and extensive testing. And so you see that used in James 1 as an example, James chapter 1. And so we go through things, and in those things we go through, there can be emotional responses to them. Those emotional responses don't mean that you're losing your mind. Don't let anyone tell you that. They have told people today that your emotions mean that you're crazy. Now they've got this thing going on where they say, everybody's suffering from mental health issues. Well, you know who's suffering from mental health issues? The people who are saying that. They're the ones suffering from mental health issues. Most of what you and I will go through as believers, a lot of the emotions are normative to this life. And notice what you can do about it. Look at what he says in James chapter 1. You know, when the Lord was in the garden, he says, my soul is troubled even to the point of death. Was he suffering from mental health issues? This is some of the the most crazy nonsense I have ever heard in my life. Notice in James chapter 1. James one. James, the servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greetings. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into, see that word, divers, are various kinds of trials. Knowing that the trying of your faith, what does it do? It produces patience. When God allows these trials to come into to my life, and some of them they're pressures, one of the things that it teaches me how to, to teaches me is how to bear up under them. Now I told you about my friend some years ago who used to um, give the quote. He was telling someone who always ran away from problems, and he says, "He who fights and runs away lives to fight another day." Now that was his little trite saying, but do you know? I think there's some truth to that. Many times we keep trying to take ourselves out of the will of God in order that we won't suffer. And isn't it ironic we keep finding ourselves back in those same situations? And so here you have it. James says that you can count it joy. And I, I, I would suppose if you don't count it joy, you can end up being in the state of an emotional wreck. And some people do, because they don't apply what they know from Scripture. And so he says, you count it joy. What is joy? Joy is an appreciation for what God has provided for me. That, thank you, Father, you have provided this circumstance that I am in. Thank you. I know that this is not an accident. See, Job couldn't do that. Job didn't have the provisions to say, thank you, Father. You provide. He didn't even know what was going on. You and I today can say, thank you, Father. This is a wonderful provision that you've provided for me to be able to go through this experience. And I know that you are allowing this in my life, that I might be able to grow, that you might be able to be glorified. 
And so notice he says back in uh, Revelation 2, we'll close out and again in 10. He says, you will be tried and you shall have tribulation 10 days. <clears throat> and again, that word for tribulation is our word for afflictions or pressures that surround a believer from all sides. And he said they would have them 10 days. But no, notice here the, the um, response that the church at Smyrna could how they could respond to this. Be ye faithful. And that word for faithfulness uh, is denotes one who could be counted upon in a trial. Now, I, I know that God can probably I really believe God measures what you're going through. And I don't, there are certain things he's not going to put you in a situation you can't handle it. There was a fella in uh, Washington State, uh, Royal City, who back some years ago, he was in his garage working on a lawnmower, and uh, he forgot the, the gasoline smell actually filled the garage, and the, it, and the uh, water tank exploded. And he was in a situation where I think he was burned over 80% of his body. And so in that situation... I mean, he just went through all kinds of uh, skin grafts, all kinds of issues, right? Still suffering from some of those, and this was over 20-something years ago. But do you know that guy when you meet him, and every time I've talked to him, and it's been said even about the people who were doing the skin grafts and his doctors, that they never heard that guy say a bad word about his condition, and even to this day, if you were to talk to him to this day, the last time I talked to him, unless he went over the deep end, <laughs> so this guy was thankful for the circumstance that God brought into his life. And that he saw it from God, and he's still suffering some of the results of that even to this day. He told me that last time I talked to him that you get up on the roof sometime and you're trying to fix the roof, and because I don't have any pain in my, uh, any uh, nerves in my knee, um, I can't feel always when there's na- nails and things. And so he's stuck nails to his knee and things of this. Just all kinds of things you wouldn't even think about, right? But do you know that that guy, in everything which has struck me about it, is that that guy, okay, I'm not asking God give me this, <laughs> but that guy was thankful in it. And and, and the, everything that everyone has said about him in that situation, I've not really heard anyone that said that he's responded negatively to it at all. Now, I don't think that you have to go around thinking God's going to cause you to be burnt over 80% of your body. <laughs> I don't think that God's going to do that to everyone. I do believe that, and we'll see this, I think God knows what believer can handle what. Right? But it's the same thing that you can be tried and the whole purpose of this trial is to that you can glorify God, that God can prove that you're who he says you are and the opportunity for him to be glorified in it. As the believer lives up to his estimate of who God says you are, the the believer learns patience. I mean, do you think that the world out there is manifesting any kind of patience? Are you kidding me? Have you been on 995 lately? (laughs) <laughs> somebody manifesting any kind of patience or bearing about me anything <laughs> I mean you drive behind somebody driving behind you you're driving the speed limit and they're about to bump you <laughs> so they can get around you nobody's bearing any kind of patience today but the believer can and he says be faithful 
unto, and, and notice it says, and thou will uh, be, and notice what the result of it is. And I will give thee a crown of life. Now, you know what the crown of life is? It's the crown given to the believer who's able to endure through trials. That God's going to reward those believers who are able to bear up under trials. Now, you see this said again, and I think we, we mentioned it. And no, it's, we didn't. Let's end here with James 1.12 and we'll end with that scripture. And there's the promise. Here's the promise God gives to the believer who's able to endure through it. <clears throat> Blessed is the man that endures temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which God has promised to them that love him. Or really, I think they're in that, uh, the ones loving him, right? Those who are loving him. And, and there's a difference. Not, do you know really not every believer is loving God? I can be a believer and really not love God at all. Well, I could be married and not love my wife. Just because I'm married doesn't mean I'm directing love. And so a believer who is loving God is going to demonstrate that and how he reacts in his relationship with other believers and in his relationship with what God is, is desiring for his life. And there's going to be some response there. So you know, we start here, and you can see that Satan is involved in these um, pressures. That he's really a big, he plays a big part in the pressure. So you see it in the Old Testament, and we'll continue to see it in the New Testament. We'll see that Paul wanted to go back to Thessalonica after he was run out of there in the 17th chapter. And he says, I once and again tried to go back and to come to you. And why could he not? Satan hindered me. He stopped me from doing it. And we'll see Satan brings about circumstances that can bring pressure in the life of believers. And if you don't know that or understand how to deal with it, you will be an emotional wreck. You don't have to be, but you will be. Father, we're grateful for the opportunity of being able to look at these things and grateful to last believers that we can be confident as we live this life that you are in control of orchestrating our life. There's nothing that will happen to us that you have not known would happen before. The circumstances of our life was foreordained even before we began. And we understand that you are in control of those things. And so you're measuring out what happens at any given point in time. And we're thankful that the Son is interceding for us on our behalf that we might continue to be saved. And we're thankful, Father, for that. In your son's name we pray. Amen.